0: So I was 23 years old, newly married, volunteering in the church and loving it. Sully and I lived in an apartment in Citrus Heights, just off Auburn Boulevard. We lived on the second floor. And sometimes I'd enjoy my daily devotions on the patio under the warmth of the morning sun behind the privacy of some well-placed trees. Now I was in the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 1, I was reading about uh, God's call upon Jeremiah's life. And there in chapter 1, Jeremiah recounts his call. He says in verses 4 and 5, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I was amazed by these words. One of those moments, I'm sure you've had them in your devotions or your times of Bible reading where... I mean, you are just seized by the Word of God. It was one of those occasions for me. I was amazed by these words. I was taken by Jeremiah's call. I was struck by the fact that Jeremiah heard a word from God that set the course of his life. God had purpose for this man. Before Jeremiah was even born, we're told, God appointed him uh, as a prophet to the nations. I was, frankly, a bit jealous. I wanted that. A sense of purpose. At the time, I was, <laughs> I was working in machine tool sales. I was selling new and used metalworking equipment. I was trying to sell new and used metalworking equipment. I was 23 years old trying to tell lifelong machinists what they needed to be better machinists. I was learning the trade. I was being groomed for management. There was the possibility of of part ownership in the business down the road. But my heart wasn't into it. My heart wasn't into it. Dave knows. He and I shared some of those years together. Talk about a a fish-out-of-water experience. Oh my goodness, it was definitely square peg and round hole. Only God could have opened that door. Only God, only by God's grace... Could I last eight years um, dedicating, trying to dedicate myself to a job that really didn't fulfill me? What I really wanted was a calling. Something like Jeremiah's. And so I sat that morning on my second story patio with the Bible before me, and I asked God, I did, I asked God for purpose. God, you appointed Jeremiah even before he was born. I prayerfully wondered. God, is there something you've appointed for me? God, do you have a call upon my life? And then I heard it. It wasn't an audible voice. At least I don't think so. But it was the voice of the Lord speaking to me Clear as day. It was the Spirit of God speaking to my spirit. It was just three short words, but they were very powerful, very personal, and very meaningful to me. I remember like it was yesterday when God simply said, Serve my people. Serve my people. God, is that you? Serve my people. I heard it again. And so I I sprang from my chair. I did. I threw open the sliding door went back into the apartment, found my wife, grabbed hold of her, said, I think God just spoke to me. (laughs) She said, what'd he say? (laughs) He said, serve my people. He answered my prayer. We didn't know what that meant necessarily at the time. But Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. That morning, I'm convinced, that morning, I was called to be a pastor. Years passed before the call came to fruition and the road uh, was adventurous. It has been adventurous to say the least, but it began then and there, I have no doubt. It was clear, it was concise, it was surreal, it was inescapable, and it was purposeful. God had given me purpose. Today I want to talk with you about purpose, about our purpose, about our purpose as a church, about what I believe to be God's purpose for the church. I'm excited for this. Last month at our church luncheon, as you may remember, I talked about being more intentional. Intentional in our leadership. Intentional in our ministry. Intentional in our purpose. And this morning I'm beginning a brief four-part sermon series that hopefully begins to unpack what I mean about being intentional in these areas specifically with regard to purpose. My intent today is simply to provide you a framework, an introduction that we will further explore and develop in subsequent weeks. I want to introduce you to something that God has stirred within me over the last few months especially, but I think the stirrings have been there for years, really. I just couldn't put my mind around it or my fingers on it. I've presented it to the elders and the staff, as well as some of our uh, ministry leaders. They seem excited. i've I've shared it with some of my pastor friends, and their input has been very helpful. And now I just want to present it to you, to the congregation that we might begin to think along these lines together. Here's the main idea. Here's my main idea. The church, the church, our church, the church works. And it worships as God intends only when His purpose becomes our practice. Okay? Very simple. The church works and worships as God intends only when His purpose becomes our practice. And so I want to talk about three things. Why purpose matters. uh, God's purpose for the church. And then, how that purpose is working itself out here at East Parkway, or at least beginning to work itself out here at East Parkway. Okay? Why purpose matters. It was considered one of the greatest American victories in the history of the Olympics. Some of you are very familiar with this. The United States hockey team didn't stand a chance in 1980 by all accounts the Soviet Union seemed invincible and unbeatable their team included elite professionals who had played together for years the Americans on the other on the other hand were were young college students from universities across the country Who had never played together. They played on their respective teams, but they had never played together. Well, the American victory over the Soviets in the medal round seemed improbable, if not impossible. And according to the movie, based on these unlikely heroes, the turning point, the turning point for the Americans came in a practice led by coach. Herb Brooks. As a quick aside, I think that's significant. That the turning point did not come in the game, but it came behind the scenes in a practice. Well, the coach, Coach Brooks, was very demanding. From what I've gathered, he was maybe driven to a fault. I mean, he was a coach of a high level sports team it takes a unique personality he wasn't happy with the play of the team and so he had the players skating sprints you know and if you've been in athletics you've done wind sprints before and you're just running or in this case you're skating to the point of exhaustion until you literally just fall or vomit or whatever Some of the assistant coaches were worried that the players would either pass out or they'd just quit, and so they were urging Coach Brooks to stop, but he wouldn't, and he didn't. He just pressed on. He just kept pushing. And during practices, he would ask a player, he'd pull a player aside or he'd skate up alongside him, and he'd say, who do you play for? And the player would respond proudly with the name of his college And during this particular practice, Coach Brooks was asking the same question during this time when they're just dropping like flies. Who do you play for? And one of the hockey players, he looked up from the ice and and he was gasping for breath and, 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 and then he said it. He just said, I play for the United States of America. And that was the turning point. From that point on, they got it. It was the defining moment. They did not play for the disparate colleges from which they came. They played for the United States of America. And the team responded. They beat the mighty Soviets in the first game of the medal round, and then they would ultimately beat Finland for the gold medal. Some say that victory over the Soviet Union is the greatest Olympic victory ever. Others say it is the greatest moment in American sports. It's legendary. It's forever known as the miracle on ice. and it illustrates why purpose matters the members of the 1980 US hockey team came to understand their purpose and despite long odds they fulfilled it well the illustration comes from a book by Tom Rainer Tom Rainer is president and CEO of Lifeway Christian resources he was formerly the Dean Of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Church Growth at Southern Seminary, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He now serves the church by coming alongside individual and local congregations. He and his team have been in numerous churches across the country from different denominations and perspectives, ranging numerically from the very small to the very large. These are churches who may be struggling a bit or in need of some strengthening. And one of the most common symptoms of a struggling church, regardless of its size or setting, according to Rayner, is its failure to clarify and communicate its purpose. A church needs purpose. Purpose clarifies who we are and what we're about, and why we do or don't do certain things. Purpose unites us around common goals. Purpose rallies people together. It mobilizes people. Purpose creates this synergy that's almost contagious and infectious. Purpose breeds commitment and sacrifice and personal investment. Like the 1980 hockey team, purpose calls calls us to something much greater than ourselves. It recaptures, listen, it recaptures godly ambition and it rescues us from bland ambivalence. Purpose matters because it frees and compels us to follow God wherever He may lead. And it's biblical. Purpose is biblical. The word itself appears all over the Old and New Testaments. A quick word study will reveal that. Moses is said to have had purpose. David, we're told, had purpose. David's mighty men are described as having singleness of purpose. Solomon had purpose. In the New Testament, we learn that John the Baptist had a very specific purpose. Barnabas exhorted the church in Antioch to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Paul was given purpose by Jesus himself to... To be a servant and witness to Christ, Jesus often talked about his own divine purpose. The Bible often speaks about God's purpose. Scripture itself is said to have purpose. And unless there be any doubt, Proverbs chapter 16 verse four says clearly, "The Lord has made everything for its." purpose. In other words, God has created all things with a purpose. And all things obviously includes the church. We don't need to shy away from being purposeful. One of my former students, he's now in seminary. He's receiving some pastoral training. And just a few days ago, he posted something on Facebook that I think totally relates to this idea of purpose and being purposeful. Now, I want to quote what he says. I'm sorry to use two sports analogies back-to-back like this, but but I think he's on to something. It says, Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather Jr. are entering the biggest fight in boxing history. I don't agree with him on that point, by the way. I think the Ollie Frazier fights were much bigger. They were before my time, but they're much bigger. And and uh, I would say that maybe even the first Tyson Holyfield fight was very very big. But that's but you know he's younger. <laughs> Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather Jr. are entering the biggest fight in boxing history. Heck. Just about any fight they have been in, in the last 10 years, has paid them more than you will make in your entire life. This fight between them swells their previous earnings in amounts most can't actually fathom. And what's crazy is, if we're honest, they're not the brightest light bulbs in the hardware store. again, his words. So what separates them from the average person? And this is where he caught my attention. So what separates them from the average person? He says they have consistently worked harder on one thing their entire life at a rate, intensity, and scale that is as equally incomprehensible as the loads of money they make and will make. They are not smarter than you, he says, but they work harder than you. And that's an understatement. And then he closes by saying, we all can learn much from them. Now, you don't have to be a fan of boxing to get the point. You don't even have to necessarily agree. But the point is that Pacquiao and Mayweather, like any world-class professional in their respective field, whatever it is, any world-class professional in their respective field didn't get there by accident. They... they. They know their purpose and they are purposeful in reaching it. They are driven by it. They are disciplined. They work at it and they don't stop. The Bible, the Bible puts it like this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may receive it. Paul says, the athletes, every athlete, they exercise self-control. Some translations say they go into strict training in all things. They do it. They do it. The athlete, the runner, the boxer, the hockey team, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it to receive an imperishable wreath. That's what my student is saying. If they're willing to work so hard for what is perishable, how hard are we willing to work for what is imperishable? That's what the Apostle Paul, I think, is saying. See the prize and strive to win it. We can be purposeful and we should as long as God's purpose remains front and center. That's the key. We can be purposeful and we should as long as God's purpose remains front and center, as long as God's glory remains paramount. Which brings us to the heart of the matter. What has God set before us? What is His purpose for our existence? as a local congregation, I'd like to suggest that it's this or something like this. We exist. To fulfill the Great Commission. In the spirit. Of the great commandment. We exist to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Not too many things are great. They may be good, they may be very good, but greatness is uniquely special. Things that are great grab and hold our attention. Things that are great elicit our response. And there are two notable greats in the gospels. The great commandment and what has become known as the great commission, we read them earlier, the great commandment, in fact, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's to love God with everything you are and with all that you have, or with all your strength that, that Mark adds in his gospel. Jesus called this the great and first commandment. The great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. Us. In other words, our love for God... Our worship compels our witness, and it works ourself out in disciple-making. In love for God, we are to labor in the world and in the church for the sake of the gospel. And when we put these two greats together, our purpose becomes clear. We exist to fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. I like this because it's biblical. I like it because these are the words of Jesus Christ. And they apply to every church. I like it because they apply to every church, not just our church. They apply to every age, not just our age. They apply to every culture, every people, every tribe and tongue on the planet, not just ours. I don't want gimmicky I don't want trendy something in vogue today but outdated tomorrow I don't want some catchy phrase and then search the Bible for some verses to support it I want just the opposite I want I want to begin with the Bible and find our purpose in these pages I want God's truth. I know you want the same. I want God's truth to inform and, listen, transform. That means change. Modify. Transform how we do church together. We, it must be doable. How we do church together. It must be Doable. And thankfully, God's purpose for our lives and for our church is doable. What is the great commandment commanding? Love. Love the Lord your God with all that you have and are. The second is like it. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And In fact, that's That's kind of a segue, really, to the Great Commission, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what is the Great Commission? Commissioning? Disciple-making. Go. Go to where people are. Make disciples. These are things we are to do. That's the clear inference. Do these things. But I want you to hear this. This is very, very important. Very, very, very important. Ultimately, it's not at all about what we, what we do or achieve. Ultimately, it's about who we are and who we are becoming before God. By God's grace, who, according to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to his power at work within us. That's the beauty. That gets me excited. And so I want to try as we kind of heading toward a close. I'm not quite there yet, but we're heading that way. I want to try to apply it to our church. And again, this is just more of an introduction today. How does, God, uh, how does God's purpose become our practice? Our practice. How does it play out in the context of our normal church life together? And I see it uh, in four stages. Purpose. Priority. Practice and plan. Purpose, priority, practice, plan. The purpose, again, is to fulfill the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. It's to love and labor, to worship and witness and work for the gospel. From this emerges a threefold priority first we are to have an upward focus love the lord your god second we are to have an outward focus go into all the world and third we are to have an inward focus make disciples and so we are to love the lord we are to reach people for the lord and we are to build them up in the lord right? Love the Lord, reach people for the Lord, build them up in the Lord, upward, outward, inward. And so I'm going to spend the the next three weeks covering each of these. I want to delve into the great commandment itself and then the great commission, but this much is clear. These priorities must be given priority. And, and then we go from purpose to priority to practice. And by practice, I mean our current ministry, our current ministry, what we're currently doing, what ministries do we currently have in place and, and which of these three priorities... Upward outward inward is their primary focus and so just some examples to kind of get you thinking along these lines Just some examples of some of our current ministries with an upward Godward focus might include our Sunday service right our Sunday worship service our music ministry our prayer ministry Those are just some examples maybe with an upward focus some examples of our current ministries with an outward Go reach people where they are focused might include something like uh, um, uh, our VBS or great example is this morning's singing out ministry, right? Singing out where we are going, we're taking church to somebody else who doesn't come to church. Some examples of our current ministries with an inward or disciple-making focus could include our Sunday school ministry, uh, our midweek home groups, um, even our dinner teams. When we have our dinner teams and there's this disciple-making fellowship that's happening around the table, I think those are more uh, inward in their approach, and they're necessary. They're wonderful. Obviously, these three are interconnected, right? I'm just, I'm talking about them separately, but they're really inseparable. Not every outward ministry is exclusively outward. Not every inward ministry is exclusively inward. And certainly, everything we do, we do in love for God, and so everything has an upward component inherently. But as a general guide, we want to practice. These three priorities, and we want to be intentional in doing so. And so from purpose to priority to practice, and then finally to plan. And by plan, I mean that that which we aren't currently doing, but plan to do. It may mean adding more ministries, as God supplies the necessary resources and or it may mean revamping current ministries to better clarify the purpose of that ministry this is where vision comes into play vision sees what doesn't yet exist but could or should this is where we can let our dreams run big Can dream God-sized dreams. I've said it so many times, I just it's so meaningful to me. That day that, that Moffat from North Rise University when said, Look, Moffat, how'd you get to where you are? How'd North become? We began with a dream, and we still dream big. So let's thank and pray about how to love God more. Let's think and pray about how to reach and serve our neighborhoods and communities. Let's think and pray about our church, about each other. Let's think and pray for each other. Let's consider how to come alongside and disciple one another in the Lord. And, and then while thinking and praying, let's do. let's let's act. And so some examples of of possible future Ministries with an upward focus might be something like a church-wide emphasis on daily devotions. How can we encourage every member in the church to be um, to be with God and walking with God and spending time in His Word and in prayer each and every day? How can we be more intentional in doing that? Another example might be the revamp of our all-church prayer ministry. You know, Wednesday night prayer meeting is languishing, and, and obviously you know, we know, prayer is important. So what can we do? What can we do to pray more as a church together? we got a plan for those things. What, what, what can we do to pray more together as a church Some examples of some possible future ministries with an outward focus might be partnering with local schools. I've shared with the staff, I would love to have a sit down with each of the principals from the schools within a three-mile radius? We've got a couple elementary schools this way, obviously a high school this way. How can we serve you? Another example might be Can we minister to those firefighters right there? I mean, they're just right there. Maybe it's hosting community events. Similar to what we've done with the craft fair. We put something on for the community and we say, We're hospitable, and we say, come, take part in this with us. This isn't for us. This is for the community. Maybe it's participating in what the community is doing, right? So we don't just want them to participate in what we're doing. Maybe we participate in what the neighborhood is doing. Maybe it's, I've been talking with Sean and Sarah Kenny. maybe it's partnering with World Relief to serve the incoming refugees who are new to this area. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Some examples of of possible future ministries with an inward disciple-making focus might include a church-wide scripture memory program. Church-wide scripture memory program. It's fantastic. Number of churches do it. Where I first saw it was Bethlehem Baptist Church. Uh, you're familiar with John Piper? He used to pastor that church. And I was there one Sunday morning, and uh, uh, John got up and he said, uh, Who's going to do the verse of the day? The verse of the week, I'm sorry. Who's going to do the verse of the week? <laughs> and in this church of 2,500 people, I and mean, there's like a silence, right? It's just kind of a silence. And in this church of some 2,500 people, this man gets up from the balcony and he recites from memory the verse of the week, that their church, they've got a scripture memory program, that their church, they're memorizing verses as a church every week. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's a more fully developed discipleship ministry. Maybe it's more home groups. Uh, Maybe it's more intentional, intergenerational interaction. Right? Be creative. Just be free to imagine the possibilities free to assess ourselves and our ministry, free to, free to plan for more, and then free to put the plan into action. And I know this is a lot of information. This is kind of a new thing, and it's and somewhat of an information dump this morning. I understand that, that some of you may not be getting it or understanding it entirely. I understand, and that's okay. And so I just want to help clarify things a little bit in that Andre and I, has, we've put together this one-page visual it's a handout uh, that recaps everything that I'm saying. So, so I put this, this is this is kind of the content I've just shared with you, and then Andre put it, he did all of this for me, and it's really helpful in, uh, in that it just describes purpose, priority, practice, and, and plan. And what I'm asking is that you grab one of these today, that you, that you look it over, they'll be on the back table, or I think Andre will pass them out uh, after the service, or he'll be available back there. Look it over, talk it over, let's talk about it together, let's refine it together as necessary, and let's implement it together. And again, you'll be hearing more of these things, hearing and seeing more of these things in, in the coming weeks, but I really am urging us to begin thinking along these lines, I'm still working, as I said, with the elders and the staff and, the, and some ministry leads, and in some cases are still in the process of identifying and clarifying our ministry leads, talking with them, uh, working with them. Um, we had a little workshop a couple weeks ago, working with them um, to put this framework into practice in, in each respective ministry of the church. So that, as a congregation, it's not every man for himself. It's not the hockey players saying, I play for this college and I play for this college. It's we're all moving together in the same general direction. I don't know what to make of your faces right now. (laughs) It's not about being new or different. It's not about trying to be clever. It's not about trying to strum up your emotions or build some excitement that inevitably will wax and wane. And honestly, it's not even really about vision casting. It's not. It's simply about being a church that understands its its God-given purpose. It's about returning to the Great Commandment, returning to the Great Commandment and responding to the Great Commission. It's about worshiping and witnessing and working together in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has graciously called us to himself and who graciously compels us to love and labor for our good. This will be good for us, for our good, and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, our Heavenly Father, our High and Holy and Heavenly Father, for the gift of purpose. It is a gift. And I pray for myself and for my beloved brothers and sisters, Here with me, I pray that you would continue to refine and grow us in the gospel, that more and more our lives would be marked and characterized by love a love for God and a love for people. And that more and more our ministry as a church would be characterized by a going forth, a going out, a going to, to reach people in the Lord and for the Lord and to build them up as disciples of Jesus Christ. Continue to make us, help us to grow in our own discipleship. We trust you, we thank you, and Lord, we're excited to serve you wherever you lead. Amen.